The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at Paul's statement to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4 about the fullness of the time. We were beginning to see that Christ's birth came at the exact right time in history, that it was foretold by the prophets. Both the time and the place had been prophesied. We're going to see that even the very circumstances of his birth had been foretold. Beloved, his first coming should not have been a surprise to the Jewish leaders of that day, but they were looking for a political savior and not a spiritual savior. Join us today as we continue looking at some of the prophecies of his birth, and we see that he did indeed come in the fullness of the time. But first, we have a song selection we hope you enjoy, then please stay tuned to the message. Joyful, joyful. Yeah, we're all 
See, this, this birth of Christ, the fullness of, it, it, was the, it, was the fulfill, it was the fullness of the time, okay? The birth of Christ was the fullness of the time. And it was also the fulfillment of the prophecies. You know, Solomon himself said over there in 1 Kings chapter 8, There hath not one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of his, Moses his servant, failed. There had not one word failed of all that good promise. The very place of his birth had been prophesied. Over in Micah, turn and read it sometime. The second chapter, he said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. There were several Bethlehems in Judea in that day. There were several towns named Bethlehem. But Micah specified the very one. The, 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 the one, Bethlehem Ephratah, the one there that David had grown up in. You know, even, even specified the way that, uh, that Jesus would ultimately end up in Jerusalem and, 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 and in his public ministry. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, he said, When I was a child, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. You know, over in Matthew, we read about uh, Joseph after the birth of Christ taking Jesus down and Mary down into Egypt and then coming back. You know, nobody, if you'd sat around and been a biblical scholar in that day, and you read Hosea chapter 11, and you're thinking about the Messiah coming, and say, that's just not going to work. How in the world? I mean, this is the Messiah of Israel. How is he going to come out of Egypt? <laughs> and God, the great superintendent of all creation, was able to work that out. You know, again, just to be clear, you know, God doesn't predestinate people to do things. But what he does is... He oversees and overrules providentially the wickedness of men. And he guides and leads men in ways that ultimately accomplish his purpose. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me that God did not have to resort. He could have done it. He could have predestinated everything that happened if he wanted to. But quite frankly, that would have impugned his very nature because that would have made him the author of sin. And God is not going to touch sin. He's not going to reach down and, and, and play around with it. He's not going to muddy his hands with the sins of men. See, even through this unlikely route, though, the great superintendent of all creation was able to work his purposes. The very time had been prophesied. And we really don't have time this morning to go through this, but... Uh, I, I tell you what, turn with me, though, just briefly. Turn with me briefly back over to the book of Daniel. We won't spend a lot of time here, but, you know, sometimes we uh, have heard that, you know, the, the Jews in that day were just completely unaware that Jesus was, should have been anywhere on the horizon. But, you know, Daniel over in Babylonian captivity was given a vision in Daniel chapter 9 of 70 weeks of years. 70 weeks. Notice in chapter 9 of Daniel, verse 24. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now listen, listen to what the 70 weeks are to do. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up that vision, the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. 
That sounds a lot like the work of Christ on the cross to me, doesn't it to you? That, that's exactly what he's talking about here. He says 70 weeks, and, and all, of us, all biblical scholars from the time this was written agree that those 70 weeks aren't just 70 literal weeks. They're 70 weeks of seven years each, okay? Now, I could spend the rest of the, ser the sermon on this, and I'm not. I'm just going to summarize it. If you've got questions about it, Feel free to see me later, or, or, or we'll sit down and study it. But, but understand this. He said in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Again, remember, this is Daniel in Babylon before the Jews were allowed to go back home to Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down. The temple had been torn down. Okay. And he says here that there's going to be seven weeks and then 62 weeks, three score and two weeks. That's a total of 69 weeks, right? 69 weeks. That adds up to 483 years until the Messiah comes. Okay. The seven weeks, he says, um, he said, there shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. In 457 B.C., Artaxerxes was the king, if you remember, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer for. And Nehemiah was coming, you know, he was weeping and sad. And he, he said, okay, Nehemiah, you can go back and you can rebuild Jerusalem. He gave him the decree to go back. There had been an earlier decree by Cyrus to go back and rebuild the temple. But I believe the time that Daniel's talking about here is that time in 457 B.C. when that decree to go back and build Jerusalem occurred. During that first 49 years, the seven weeks, the streets were rebuilt. The wall was rebuilt. It was a troublous time. You remember they had to hold a, a sword in one hand and the shovel in the other. But they rebuilt it. And then you fast forward the total of 483 years. That brings us right to about 27 A.D. Remember, you don't have a 0 B.C. You have 1 B.C. and then 1 A.D. You don't have a 0. Normally, if you do the math, you say, well, that's 26. No, it's 27. What happened in 27 A.D. or thereabouts? And I, none of these, we can't get any of these exactly. But what happened about that? About that time, if Christ indeed was born around 4 or 5 B.C., which is what most people, you know, our, our time, God's timing is correct. Our calendars are not always completely accurate, okay? He wasn't born in 0 B.C. Then that means at about 30 years old, in 27 A.D., the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ began. You know, he goes on to say here that uh, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall there be with a flood. To the end of the war, desolations are determined. And notice he says in verse 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. What happened about three and a half years after Jesus began to preach? Calvary happened. And do you know that after Calvary, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was the last sacrifice or oblation that God ever recognized. A lot of them kept being done. They kept sacrificing those uh, little sheep and goats. They were no more recognized by God as proper sacrifices. After Christ's sacrifice, it was the fulfillment of that. In the middle of the week, 
It says he shall be cut off, but not for himself. Guess what? Jesus wasn't crucified because he was a sinner. He was crucified because we were sinners. He will be cut off, but not for himself. And it says that, uh, that he, shall, it says he shall confirm the covenant with many. He shall, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. To the consummation, the determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. About three and a half years after the crucifixion of Christ, guess what happened? At the end of that, seventh, that 70th week, right? Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle comes on the scene. The Apostle to the Gentiles. You see, people are still waiting. I, I just say this much. There's a lot of talk out in the religious world today about that 70th week. You know, we can count for 69 weeks leading up to Christ's coming. Well, the, the, some say the 70th week that is still to come. Beloved, I believe it came. I believe it came and Jesus ended the sacrifice. He finished the sacrifice. He finished the redemptive covenant. covenant. But here's my point. I know that's a little side trail to get to this point. Those Jews in that day should have known. They had the prophecy of Daniel and so many other prophecies. The very time had been prophesied for them. They should have known that it was the time. They wouldn't have known the exact time, the exact minute, the exact day. But they would have had, you know, in their minds, they should have been saying, you know, we're getting close to that 69th week. We're getting close. We ought to be looking for the Messiah. But they were looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for a great war leader, a great political leader. And they were not looking for a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Not only had the time and the place been prophesied, but the very circumstances had been prophesied. Remember what it says back over in our text this morning in Galatians chapter 4. It says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. Let me just stop there and say this. You can't send something you don't already have, can you? Those that say Jesus Christ became the Son of God, when He was born of Mary, are way off. He was already the Son of God. He's the eternal Son of God. From time immemorial, He's always been, they've existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He sent forth His Son, made of a woman. Now notice here, for the only time in history, this does not say made of a man and a woman. You see? It was made of a woman. You remember the prophecy of Christ, the very first prophecy of Christ back over in Genesis chapter 3? What did it say? It said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed, the seed of the woman. The seed that he's talking about there, he said, I'll put, I'll put enmity not between the seed of the man and the seed of the serpent, but the seed of the woman. That's not even the right way to talk about it. Nowhere else in the Bible do you read about the seed of the woman. It's always the seed of the man. But the reason he said it that way, God didn't stutter and he didn't make a mistake. He meant it that way. Because he knew that the only way for salvation to come to his people would be if he brought it himself. 
In, in Isaiah, there's one place where he said he looked around and marveled that there was no one there to bring salvation. So mine own arm brought salvation. And that's what he did here. It, see, the very circumstances of the virgin birth were prophesied. Remember, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and have a child. I know that many of the modern translations and many of the modern scholars want to say, Well, that's not talking about a pure young woman. That's talking about just a young woman. Well, there's nothing miraculous about a young woman having a baby that happens all the time but this is something greatly miraculous when a virgin conceives and has a baby and by the way just so that uh, just to show you how good God is and how you're never going to get him you're never going to get one up on him just in case you were questioning that say well that means just a young woman back over in Luke again where uh, where we read earlier in chapter 1 as Mary is dealing with the angel there in verse 34, Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? <laughs> Just in case you wanted to take that virgin out there and change it to something else, which I don't recommend you do because God said don't mess with his word. Mary confirms that she's a pure young woman. Never been with a man. You see... This virgin birth was foretold. It had been prophesied. And I know the Jews doubted. I know the tales that they told. They told. It, it went around for centuries and still among some of the Jewish teachings today that Jesus Christ was the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier in Mary who had an affair over there while he was stationed in, in Judea. They tell that story today. But you know what God says? He says, I got a better story. This is my son. And I'm the father. There is no earthly father. He has sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. You know that Jesus Christ could not have completed the work of redemption if he had not been made under the law. If he had not been made of a woman, if he had not been fully man, if he had not been made under the law, if there was ever anybody... Who could claim to be above? You know, we have a lot of politicians, a lot of people today in high places. You, I saw sometimes they'll pop up on your feed on in Facebook or YouTube, and you'll see these high-ranking officials that get pulled over for a traffic stop, and they assert, "You know who I am." You know, I've been scared to do that. I was afraid the answer would be, "Yeah, I do," and I'm gonna give you two tickets. You know, but. But I so, but that how many people we all want to be above the law, right? We, well, that law doesn't apply to me. Jesus Christ, of all who had ever lived, could have asserted and said, "Hey, I am the law, buddy." He could, you know, when 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 the devil went to tempt him, he, he took him to the temple. He took him. He said, "Make these stones into bread." He could he could have said, "Let me let me give you some new revelation." Because I am the living word and I can come up with new revelation when I want to. But he didn't do that. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. See, Jesus Christ came not, you know, he said, you've come to destroy the law. He said, he's come not to, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He said, every jot and every tittle will be fulfilled. And as a matter of fact, because of that, because of that, Hebrews 2 tells us, that for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death and deliver them 
uh, that is the devil, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. See, he's telling us here that he had to do this in order to be able to reconcile us to God. But notice verse 18. This even gives us even more hope. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. See, we've got such a great God. He doesn't just sit up on the high on the hill in heaven and, and look down upon us lowly ants of the world. He came down and got down and dirty with us. He didn't dirty himself with a sin nature. But oh, he, he took on him the nature, not of angels, but of the seed of Abraham. And they should have known that. Those Jews should have seen that, but they didn't. And you know, we can't get too angry at them because there's been a lot of things that you and I ought to have seen that we didn't see. There's been things this very week that I ought to have seen that I had to be reminded of. One of the reasons we come to church is I, I trust is that you and I, and yes, I, as your pastor, as I prepare the message, that you and I might be reminded of things that we've let slip, might be encouraged about to remember things that we ought not to have forgotten. So as we bring this to a close, we've seen that it was the fullness of the time We've seen that it was the fulfillment of prophecy, but, but let's don't miss this most important point here. It was the first step toward Calvary. It was the first step toward Calvary. One of the problems I see in the preaching of the manger in the world is that they stop at the manger. They stop at Bethlehem, and that's a sweet story. It's a precious story. It's an amazing story. It's a miraculous story. It ought to be preached, but we must never miss this point if all we see is a babe in the manger then we see nothing more than a vision of a commercialized Christ something that's a good sweet fairy tale to help the kids get to sleep no beloved the shadow of the cross lay even across Bethlehem you know that same shadow of the cross lay across his first toddling steps. The first little toddling steps. I thought about that when we saw Cal begin to walk. The very first little toddling steps of the Lord Jesus Christ were steps toward the dark slopes of Golgotha's hill. One of the, one of the sweetest stories that almost always brings me to tears is found in Luke chapter 2, not the birth of Christ. But after he reaches the age of about 12, and you remember the story, they go to Jerusalem to sacrifice, and, and they leave him there. They forget him. They think he's with somebody else, but he's in the temple. He's disputing and, and teaching those elders there in the temple. And when they come back, they're frustrated. They're upset. I mean, I, can, I get it. I, I've been there. We lost Ashley one time at Disney World. <laughs> And, uh, I, you know, I, I wanted at the same time to hug her and spank her, you know, both. I just wanted to do both. But uh, so I, I know they were frustrated. They came running, rushing back, and they came uh, there. Where you been? Don't you know we've been looking for you? You know, I, I'm 
you read the story there, I'm paraphrasing. You know what it, that little 12-year-old boy did? He looked at his parents and he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Now, now listen, you need to understand what his father's business was to understand the full import of that statement. His father's business wasn't setting out a new way to look at things. His father's business wasn't set out some 12-step help, self-help program. It wasn't to come down and to renovate and reorganize the politics of the day or to come up with some political solution to a problem. My father's business that he's referring to there is Calvary, the cross of Calvary, where his very lifeblood would be poured out, would be shed for his people and the sins of every single one of all of his elect children for all time would be laid down upon his shoulders. A burden that you and I could never carry and a burden that was so overwhelming to him that in the Garden of Gethsemane, his sweat was like blood. I must be about my father's business. As the babe in the manger cried out, as... as as he was swaddled in his clothing there. I believe, from the babe, I believe from the manger itself, he knew exactly who he was. And he was on a path, a collision course with Calvary. And you know what that means for us? That means that as our text says, that when he sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, it was to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Our very salvation was wrapped up in the cry of that baby in, in, in Bethlehem. And our ultimate, the ultimate resolution of our salvation was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. That babe that cried in the manger would one day cry out, it is finished. And you know what? It was finished. Amen. Praise God for the fullness of the time. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.